It's time for another episode of Dynasty Oasis Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Newts and Josh Adkins. Welcome to the show. My name is Matthew Newts at Nasty Newts on Twitter. Uh, with me, as always, Joshua Adkins at Dynasty Oasis on Twitter. How's it going tonight, Josh? Uh, it's going great. Uh, a couple Monday night games. That's pretty fun uh, to have two. Well, football started at four o'clock where I'm at. Uh, that was pretty awesome. I know you were just getting off work kind of as that Casey game was starting, but uh, I think this is something that we got to consider long term, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, I would totally trade Thursday night football for Monday night doubleheaders, oh. especially with some of the duds they give us on Thursday nights next week included. It's just like, come on, I, I, I don't need to devote three nights a week to football. If you just give me two Sunday, Monday, I can live with that. Give me a doubleheader. I think get all of our football out of the way in two two days would be great. I totally agree. And, yeah, this Thursday night football is going to kind of be a joke with no Ertz, no Sanders for Philly and a New York Giants team that we won't spend much time on today, but uh, we will talk about that. Uh, Got to win, but, boy, they're hard to watch play football. So um, why don't we dive right into it? We've got, uh, I believe, 14 matchups on the slate here, so. I think we should get cracking. Uh, the funnest game of the weekend is where we're going to start tonight. Uh, it was Houston uh, at Tennessee. Tennessee takes this one 42-36 in overtime. Over, uh, yeah, overtime. Um, what did you see here, Newts? Well, it was really the breakout game of the season, finally, for Derrick Henry. I know we had talked about earlier in this year him being maybe a sell, and I think that was maybe just us overreacting some to – kind of early season struggles for him, which I, I'm not sure. I haven't looked into his past years, but it seems like he's kind of a get stronger as the year goes on kind of guy. So not really surprising to see Derrick Henry have this type of a game against the Houston Texans, but he looked phenomenal in this game, carried him on his back. Um, I wanted to ask you, how much money would you have to be paid to try and tackle him in open field? <laughs> Uh, it'd have to be at least a couple years salary. So uh, a couple hundred K I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it, it'd take a lot because he's breaking something on the way through without a doubt. Um, yeah. And he did look awesome today. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. I think anybody who, um, at least in my case, I'll just speak for myself. Uh, when I advocate selling for Derrick Henry, it's no longer at any point because I don't think he's good at football. He is awesome at football. It is just a tough way to make a living when, you know, I know he catches that swing pass at the end of this game um, and it makes the receiving stat line look pretty good. But he also had a play early in this game where uh, Tannehill tried to check it down to him and he never got his head around it, basically hit him in the back of the jersey. Um, It's just a tough way to make a living having to have 25, 30 carries and hoping to pop one. And I mean, I'm not saying he's not an exceptional player. He is. It's just at some point, this Tennessee offense is going to have to change based on personnel. And actually, speaking of which, I think it's important to note on the Tennessee side, Taylor Lewan got hurt here. Uh, Ty Cimbrello had to come in at left tackle. Um, and the news today is that Lewan tore his ACL. So they are now down their two bookend tackles, at least who they had bookended at the start of the year. And Isaiah Wilson, the, the rookie out of uh, Georgia, who's off the field for different reasons, um, as well as now Taylor Lewan gone for the year. So I think that's something interesting to watch as it relates to both Henry and the Titans. Why don't we uh, switch it over? I guess, actually, let's, let's, there's, there's more here on, on Tennessee, actually, now that I say that. 
Um, AJ Brown had two touchdowns. It looked looked awesome out there. It was good to see him back. What were your takeaways on him? For sure, um, you're not going to find many bigger AJ Brown fans <laughs> than me and you. So we were both very excited to see that. We we're heavily invested in the young man in our leagues, and I think rightfully so because this guy's special, and this uh, can is kind of what they need to allow the defenses to soften up on Derrick Henry because without AJ Brown, we were seeing a lot of really loaded boxes against uh, the running game. And it was really hard for Derrick Henry to get things going, but also Ryan Tannehill, I thought was fantastic in this game. And mm-hmm. I'm really starting to think of him more in the fantasy, you know, top 12 quarterback conversation because this offense could really work when they're playing from ahead and Tannehill, I think, can really, uh, if he keeps playing this way, things are going to go really well for this team. Well, yeah, that was kind of the two the two conversations I want to have. Want to have. So DK Metcalf is off this week. Just a quick conversation because we're talking about DK so high. We had a conversation: is he the wide receiver one? Kind of where do you put him? A couple weeks ago, how close is AJ Brown to that? There's actually a little bit more consistent volume here. Um, where do you kind of? Just those two players in a vacuum. Kind of talk about where you have them and maybe why. Well, I think it's still a bit of a separation for me. I, I'd still prefer DK because, yeah, we're starting to like Tanhill a bit more than maybe we ever expected to. But Russell Wilson is proven as proven can be. So I think it's that's the separation. Maybe not so much the talent between the receivers, but the offense and the quarterback they have is what kind of separates them still for me. Okay. Yeah. And that, that was the other, and that's, that leads us right into, I think the other kind of interesting thing here is do we start considering Tannehill in that secondary elite group? Obviously not maybe with the Murray Mahomes, uh, Wilson uh, tier, but uh, do we start considering him alongside of Allen and, you know, some of these other secondary Lamar Jackson, the way he's playing right now, I'm kind of starting to think he's falling into that group of trustable players every week. Um, which is not a place I thought I'd be with Ryan Tannehill um, this far in. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I guess the really the one thing he's missing compared to a lot of the names you uh, put him in the group with is he's not going to salvage a bad day with his legs. Um, you see, like Kyler Murray and um, Lamar Jackson, you know, have some bad passing days, but usually they sprinkle in, you know, 40, 50 rushing yards and maybe a touchdown, and that still gets you to. 20 25 points and you feel fine about it even if they looked off Tannehill is pretty reliant on his arm I know he is an athlete so he he can run the ball but it's not really in their game plan but yeah I think I think that's probably fair to start thinking about him in that manner right on and uh real quick before we move over to the Texan side uh John Smith left this game with a minor ankle injury that's what led to the uh big stat line for Ferkser eight for 113 and a touchdown on nine targets um sounds like it's just a minor deal for Johnu so uh, hopefully just a blip on the radar here. As we move to the Texans, I mean, Deshaun Watson was brilliant here. I don't think we need uh, a lot of elaboration there. Uh, Fuller, Cooks, and Cobb catch a touchdown. I think that's the pecking order. Speak up if if you disagree. Um, DJ looked okay, but there wasn't a lot of blocking there. Um, is there anything that really stood out to you outside of the norm on, on this side of uh, or with this team? Well, it's not really outside of the norm. Um, It's starting to kind of become the norm this year in Will Fuller. I know I'm probably Mm -hmm. 
a little bit higher on him than you and you've kind of poo-pooed him. Well, I shouldn't say poo-pooed, but at least last week in my, my tough lineup decision, you out almost immediately threw him out of the mix. <laughs> and are you starting to maybe change your tune a little bit on Fuller? It seems like his production has been rather consistent this year. In the past, he may have been more of a dart thrower, best ball play, where I'm starting to think this might be for real. He's he's really expanding his route tree. In the past, he was more of a straight line runner. I'm seeing him do a lot more stuff than I ever really saw him do in the past. And I'm starting to kind of believe in him more than you know I thought possible. Well, he's taken over that number one role. I won't I won't dispute that. I think in terms of coming around on him, I'm coming around on the fact that he's a little bit better football player than I ever sort of thought he would be or was. Um, the issue I still have is one of the big complaints I've always had with him is will he stay healthy? Um, and so I'm still hesitant to trust him. But in terms of coming around on the talent, yes. And, and you're absolutely right. He is not just a vertical down the field and comeback player right now. He's running in breaking routes in the intermediate part of the field. Uh, he looks really good to me. Um, and I, I think we should move on. But uh, just real quick, I, I really want to see in the draft the Texans find a way to get a tight end because it, it feels like Deshaun Watson is propping up very mediocre tight ends on a weekly basis. And I feel like if they got a difference maker in there, it's kind of one of these underrated, like where could a position player that we like fall that would really vault him up a rookie board or a free agent board for that matter. Uh, ten, or, uh, Houston is one of those spots. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time on this game. It was a heck of a game. Uh, and actually, so was our next matchup, kind of a tale of two quarters in the first half. Um, why don't we start on the Cincy side because they came out so hot. Uh, Joe, Joe Burrow looked great early in this game. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I uh, I was glad to see that. I, I didn't watch this game back yet, but I did see a fair amount of it on red zone. So I, I did see a lot of the, like the deep pass to T Higgins. I thought looked great. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I was never really discouraged about Burrow off of the last couple of weeks. They're really tough matchups. And this was actually another pretty tough matchup. And I thought he played pretty well, minus not actually getting a passing touchdown. <laughs> um, he did help you with a rushing touchdown if you had to start him this week. But yeah, I thought Joe looked uh, pretty solid in this one. Yeah, on that opening drive, he threw a strike right down the middle of the Tyler Boyd that set up that Geo touchdown, which I'm sure made Mixon owners go crazy. <laughs> um, on that second drive, actually, he tried to get Mixon into the end zone for his first touchdown, or what would have been at the time his first touchdown. Uh, Mixon dropped the pass, and then right after was the QB sneak. So there was a chance again for Mixon there. He finally did get in on the third touchdown after uh, the third drive after that long T. Higgins play. Um, so, yeah, obviously Joe doesn't get a passing touchdown. Like you said, he got the rushing. But uh, I thought he looked really good. Uh, but then in the second quarter, it was all Indianapolis. I, I heard the announcers on the re replay back say that it was Phillip Rivers' highest passing yardage quarter uh, in his entire career, which sort of shocked me because he's put up plenty of big numbers in uh, San Diego, what is L.A. now. Um, I think the guys to talk about on this on this Indy side, especially in the passing game, um, is, is Trey Burton looked like a, a real thing. It, it looked like right at the end of this game, he sort of got nicked up. Um, I didn't see anything reported on it after the game. I went and kind of ran a Google search and couldn't find anything on it. Uh, but he was, he was clearly limping, but otherwise he looked good Four catches, uh, 58 yards and a touchdown. Uh, also ran a, uh, read option play with Jonathan Taylor uh, and kept it and got a second touchdown, uh, rushing, 
Um, so really good day for him. What are your thoughts on this? Because t- this tight end room keeps producing, but it's never been predictable. A- at some point, are we going to get some predictability, or do you think this is where we are all year with this team? It's tough because the guy that was out today was actually, or out yesterday, excuse me, is actually probably my favorite talent of the group, and that's Mo Ali Cox. So mm-hmm. if, if you're going to have to dodge or figure out a three headed monster when all three are healthy, that's going to be a little too frustrating for me to want to invest in. But if I'm a non contender and I've got kind of a deep roster, I'd maybe target Mo Ali Cox just play. Trey Burton, I think, would probably be the guy to own in redraft or um, if you're trying to just go for a title this year and you just need a, a body there. If, say, you just lost Ertz or something, Burton would probably be the safest guy. But Cox is the talent I like the best. Okay, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the three-headed monster because Jack Doyle, who's just a very solid football player, also makes an unbelievable touchdown catch in this game. Um, so tight ends showing out in Philadelphia or Philadelphia in Indianapolis. It looks like that's a position Philip obviously targets. Um, Michael Johnson had a couple big plays here. Actually, could have been a bigger day. Phil missed him down the middle uh, for what would have been a long touchdown. Um, any interest there until Pittman comes back? Hilton looks cooked. I mean, they need somebody. Yeah, it could just be a volume thing. I, I do want to rewatch this game just to see if I see anything there because, to be honest, it's not really a player I'm all that familiar with. But fast yeah, I mean, any t- it, for a, anyone to get five grabs and 100 yards, it's definitely worth, uh, worth paying attention to. Um, I wish I could give better advice because by the time I watch this game, you probably won't hear me again <laughs> before your waiver wire run. But, yeah, definitely check them out if it's something you'll see and, or if you like what you see might be worth a speculative grab because yeah. opportunity is there for somebody. He caught my eye, definitely. And and until Pittman comes back, I think they do need some sort of out, outside weapon because it's not Hilton right now, uh, who, by the way, had one catch on five targets for five yards. Um, did have a touchdown called back on holding, but, boy, he's just not, he's not open when he gets targeted. Jonathan Taylor has a good day here. That was good to see. Um was used in the passing game, got 12 carries. It, it's still frustrating to see how much burn Jordan Wilkins is getting. Um, but I think this maybe was the game that's sort of, maybe this is going to be kind of a theme in this this episode of, of running backs that are sort of starting to finally um, kind of get their footing within their offense, earn some trust. Um, maybe that was this game for Jonathan Taylor because I did think he looked good, and, and Wilkins did absolutely nothing with the touches they gave him. Um, I think that's all we've got on the uh, Colts side before we finish off the uh, the Bengals. Did you have anything else on the Colts? No, uh, I think let's get moving on here. Um, our next game was one that I chose in our uh, in our game draft last week with uh, my second pick. It was the Bears and the Panthers. Uh, Wanted to see how Teddy Bridgewater and this kind of interesting revamped offense would look in a really tough opponent in Chicago. And um, I guess it was kind of what I expected that this Bears defense is back. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you would have considered them gone last year, but they definitely took a step back last year. But they're they're looking like the monsters of the midway again. And it, it was a tough time for Teddy in this game. A couple interceptions and uh, was under constant pressure. But he actually still got... Uh, Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, you know, at least to their baseline. 
So that was good to see. Um, it was good to see DJ Moore get more involved in this game. Teddy was looking his way a lot more, and they were using him more in kind of the intermediate routes. He actually almost du- – or he did double Anderson in targets. So um, I think when we were starting to clearly see that Anderson was the lead in the pecking order, maybe that changed this week. It could have just been a matchup thing, but I was happy to see DJ Moore get a, a heavy workload. Yeah, I, I didn't see a ton of this game, but it, it looked like it could have been a bigger day for Moore. Um, he had one in the back of the end zone where he got hit really hard and the ball got jarred loose and almost just a spectacular one-handed catch over the middle. I think that was, was that fourth down for them? I believe, uh, kind of to end the game to seal the game. Yeah, um, I think so. So yeah, it was good to see cause he looked like he was getting open and, and, and finding space out there. Um, how about David Montgomery is, is did, did my prediction come true? We got enough out of him where you can at least take him to somebody and say there's volume here? Actually, I I left this game rather discouraged by him because this is a, <laughs> a matchup you, you kind of circle on your fantasy yeah. schedule when you get the Panthers against your running back. And this was kind of an interesting uh, game for a lot of reasons on both sides in the running game because Mike Davis was a running back, the Bears – let go for nothing and neither of them had good yards per carry but he looks like a much more talented running back to me than David Montgomery and I think they made a mistake Davis would be the best running back on Chicago Montgomery is just he's an opportunity to only play for me as soon as they get someone more talented there I think you're gonna forget that name pretty soon down the road Uh, I just don't think there's really much there to like yeah if someone wants to offer you anything for him I would sell 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 well what do you well let's talk about that a second would it would you do it to obviously you do it for a first i think that's pretty apparent at this point would you be trying to turn a second into a first or would you just be getting out for a second at this point just in terms of raw value here either way i would ask to try and get a first with yeah i mean david montgomery for a first straight up is not going to happen but package him with a second for a first yeah absolutely i would do that i'd probably even take a second for him at this point i just Unless you're contending and you need a running back, just an an option there. If you're a non-contender or kind of a you know middle of the road team, I would take any pick I could get. I think a second would get it done for me. Less than that, I'd probably just hold on in case something changes. But just as far as the talent goes, I don't see this opportunity lasting for him past this year. Yeah, I was really hoping he'd fall into the end zone a few times so that uh, I could take him out in the one spot I have him and try to try to shop him for for what he was, you know, almost 80% of what he was worth when I when I selected him. So, um, what's our next game here? Baltimore at Philadelphia or did you have anything left on that game? Sorry. Just wanted to mention Cole Komet scored a touchdown. Yeah. I know he was a popular tight end for uh, rookie drafts last year, and everyone always panics on tight ends in their rookie year because tight, rookie tight ends rarely do anything, but looks like he's starting to see the field some more. So that's uh, encouraging if you spent a late second or early third-round pick on him, which is, I think, probably where he was going in your Dynasty League rookie drafts last year. So um, hopefully he can take that job from Jimmy Graham yeah. at some point this year. To that point, he was actually dropped in one of my uh, 20-man FFPC leagues. So shallow league, but um, to your point, people just, they they panic on tight ends very quickly. So he was dropped, and I actually was able to scoop him up in one spot. Um, moving on to what ended up being a pretty fun game. Looked like it was going to be lopsided at the start. Baltimore uh, takes it 30-28 uh, at Philadelphia. Um, 
I think let's start on the Baltimore side. Uh, Lamar Jackson, the arm looks just off to me. Um, in the first quarter, he had a few inaccurate passes. I, I, I noticed that the ball's just coming out sort of wobbly. Um, and then in the second half, there was a play where Mark Andrews was absolutely wide open. Um, and he had a good protection in the pocket. And for whatever reason, he decided to just sidearm the football. Um, and it, it came up about 10 yards short, almost a old school Donovan McNabb throw it into the ground worm burner. Um, <laughs> you know, he salvages his day here with the long touchdown, which I'm not going to argue was, you know, magnificent. He's so fun to watch in the open field. Um, and I know last week, what we were critical for was is that he's not running. And, you know, that is back, but I just feel like we should see more of a passing progression than we've seen. Does that, does that seem fair or am I being too critical on Lamar? I think that's absolutely fair. And, uh, I didn't see a ton of this game outside of red zone again, but, but yeah, the, I've watched a lot of Lamar Jackson this year and I've been kind of, uh, having a lot of the same concerns you just raised. So I think it's plenty fair. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, Andrews uh, got missed on that play, but he was not involved in this game. Pretty slow for him. Uh, Marquise Brown does have an okay day. Wasn't really overly involved. This game got lopsided quick, and so I think the real story here is is the running backs. Um, Dobbins was involved early here, but could never really get anything going. His two best runs of the day were both called back on holding. Um, Mark Ingram didn't do almost anything and then left with an ankle injury, and Gus Edwards was largely bottled up other than that touchdown run. Um, I guess it'll depend upon how long Ingram's out, but I think this team has to, I don't know that they have to pick, but somehow they got to become more efficient running the ball because it doesn't look good right now. They are not picking up yards. The read option's not working. This rotation's not working. Um, I wish they would invest in JK, and I don't have a lot of advice on this one other than you just kind of got to keep holding a player that I do you know, think is talented and think will be good long-term, but um, seems like this is the team's slowest to invest in their younger. Well, I guess Cam Akers too. Jeez, it's been kind of slow to start the year. I, what do you got on this this Baltimore backfield? Well, clearly Gus Edwards has some compromising photographs of John Harbaugh <laughs> somewhere because I don't understand his usage one bit. I understand using Mark Ingram and Dobbins in a committee, but I don't know what the hell Gus Edwards is doing getting 14 carries in any football game for this team. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. You know, the, the, the touchdown run was nice. Um, and, you know, they were both bottled up here. But, yeah, I just feel like they need to commit to J.K. Dobbins. He's clearly the most electric back they have. Um, moving over to the Eagles side, um, I think the important thing to note here is, and I've heard a couple differing takes on this, that, that Carson Wentz needs to step up or uh, Carson Wentz played his butt off yesterday. I don't, I don't really care what anybody says. I mean, he's playing with half of an offensive line. Uh, their starting left tackle was, is a former rugby player and their right tackle is like a seventh round rookie, Jack Driscoll out of Auburn, um, who's a fine prospect but not ready really to protect uh in this sort of environment um he he was under pressure once this is was under pressure all day um he he had about a 50 yard completion to john hightower on the first possession and it hit him right in the hands and hightower dropped it um hightower would catch a long one later in this game um but he seems like an undependable asset greg can't greg ward cannot get open zach Ertz leaves this game 
Um, and yet they somehow managed to get within two of the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, am I off base here? Did you, I mean, Carson played pretty well in your opinion. Would you agree? Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Give him some props. It's about as tough of a situation as a quarterback could be thrown into right now. I'm sure the Philadelphia media is not being very kind to him this year. And for him to go out and just keep competing the way he is with just dollar store scraps out there, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm happy to see it. I, I'm rooting for Carson Wentz. You know, he, he went to uh, NDSU, which is our neighbors to the Northwest. And I'd like to see Carson Wentz do well. I know a lot of people in my life that uh, are NDSU alums. So got a lot of, a lot of Carson Wentz fans in Minnesota and I consider myself to be one as well. So I'd like to see him, um, do better, I guess, and have better pieces around him, hopefully in the future, that can allow him to succeed there. Definitely. Travis Fulgham here gets a little bit done towards the end, 6 for 75 on 10 targets, did score a touchdown. Um, actually, on the same drive, could have had an easier touchdown. That Pretty much Wentz just threw it up to him uh, in both occasions, actually. Uh, you texted me about, uh, if, I already forgot his first name, the broadcaster said it, but Kroom. <laughs> The Kroom touchdown. I mean, where did this yeah. guy come from? Um, yeah, I just was I was really impressed with Carson Wentz. Um, and, and we can kind of move on from this game. But I do think I, I, well, I do want to point out the 74 yard run for Sanders was one beautiful run in a day where he got very little running room. Um, the cutback in the hole uh, was was really special. And it was too bad to see him, you know, a get tracked down, b fumble the football see J.J. Arcega-Whiteside coming out of obscurity for a second week in a row uh, and getting a touchdown. So uh, if anybody's fooled or maybe doesn't watch any of these games and you can trick somebody into thinking J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is real based on a touchdown and a 37-yard catch, uh, get out now because uh, he can't get open. Um, but, yeah, Miles Sanders obviously got hurt on that on that long run. Um, it seems like the MRI came back semi-clean, but he will more than likely miss this upcoming Thursday game. Um, and it sounds like Ertz out to three three to four weeks with a uh, high ankle sprain. Um, I think we should move on. Cleveland-Pittsburgh uh, was one of your games that you picked. Unfortunately, it didn't end up the competitive game we had here. I have not had a chance to watch, uh, other than like like you, what, what I saw in red zone here. So uh, why don't you take us through this one? Not a competitive game, but actually quite a bit of uh, dynasty yeah. talkers and a 38-7 lopsided score. I think we start with Baker Mayfield. Um, there could be a propensity to panic here based on his god-awful performance, but I think half of it was in due, or due to the fact that I think he was clearly playing hurt. Definitely. Um, got banged up last week and I, he, he looked to be in pain most of the day. And, and when you're playing hurt, this is not the defense you want to be facing. This Pittsburgh Steelers defense is swarming right now. He was under constant pressure from JJ Watt and Bud Dupree, excuse me, TJ Watt and Bud Dupree. This Pittsburgh front seven is playing as well as any front seven I've seen in the NFL so far this year. I've been I'm very impressed the amount of constant pressure they're getting on opposing offenses and quarterbacks even the unsung heroes like Cameron Hayward and uh Stefan Tuitt um they're not showing up in the stat sheets as much as the edge rushers but they they cause havoc in the running game as well as their counterparts on the outside in the passing game that's why you saw Kareem Hunt have a tough time in this game there just wasn't any holes there was nowhere to run um 
if you, if you can find someone willing to sell haunt on a bad game, make some offers, you never know. Someone might be overreactionary in that regard, but cream hunts fine. Just there was no chance for Gail Sayers to run <laughs> in this game. It, it wouldn't have mattered. So on the Cleveland side, uh, it's just kind of a rough day. I'm not going to panic on any of these things. If you were going to panic on anything, maybe it'd be Baker just because this seems to be the kind of player he is where he's going to have a few duds throughout the year. And, and, and you got to factor in the fact that he isn't in this division. He's playing this Pittsburgh team twice a year. He's playing that Baltimore, Baltimore. team twice a year. Yeah. That's one quarter of his schedule on every season against two of probably the three best defenses in the NFL, at least right now. That's uh it kind of hurts your stock in Browns and Bengals players when you got to face both these teams twice a year. So I guess maybe that's kind of a meta thing to consider down the road, but I don't want to stay too long in the Browns here because uh, on the Pittsburgh side, Chase Claypool, not a four touchdown game, but he's for real. Um, yeah. I, I, I was or vindicated, I guess, in saying that he was the number one wide receiver in this offense. And I think that's clear as day now that Ben is looking his way first. And I think rightfully so another rushing touchdown for him. He came about a, a yard and a half on two separate plays from having two more touchdowns. Out yeah, of that, that 36 yarder down the sideline was beautiful. Like I said, I didn't but I did catch that, that play. And that was, I mean, he almost scored it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think he's fantastic. I've been really enjoying watching his breakout happen, and I think uh, I think it's real, and I think it may even be a buy high for me. Um, you might yeah. get someone trying to sell high for him and not really ask for what you should be asking for. So if you can get him for a first and a piece, I would buy. I agree. Well, so let me just ask then, what's the, the elephant in the room is what do you do with Juju Smith-Schuster at this point? I mean, you probably can't sell – are either of us predicting a, a, a bounce back this year? Let's start there. It's really tough because Deontay Johnson's still going to be a part of this offense when he comes back. Yep. And James Washington is going to be on the field, like it or not. I th- he, he has some abilities to he, – he can get open in some mismatches. And when you have Claypool and Juju and – um, James Washington and Deontay Johnson all on the field at the same time. One of those guys is going to be up against a linebacker or the weakest corner on the team. If that just happens to be James Washington on that play, he he's going to have some some touchdowns or some big plays. So, yeah, it's tough on Juju. I, I think it's just a hold and hoping for greener pastures next year. But if he can't afford the hold, then I don't know. I just wouldn't want to sell here. I think he's too talented of a player to give up at probably his lowest possible value point. Well, that's, yeah, I think he's a building player to, or if you're a building team, he's a player to go seek out and buy. I mean, this is one that I saw on Twitter today. Uh, Robbie Anderson or or Juju Smith-Schuster would be a real offer that a building team could make to a contending team right now and get an accept straight up, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Because if, if, if you've got Juju, he's killing your lineup right now. You feel like you have to have him in. Um, And yeah, he's 22 or 23 or whatever it is right now. Um, but you know, I don't think it's going to happen this year for him. Obviously there's going to be a few touchdowns and a few, few good games here and there. Um, but in terms of a dependable starter, I, I just, I think it's, it's going to be a full year and, and kind of maybe to preview our, our Thursday show. Um, one thing we're going to do is just kind of do three or four hypothetical trades each that we'd like to see in, in the NFL, 
Um, and it wouldn't shock me if Juju came up uh, for one or both of us in that in that scenario. Um, do you have anything else here with Pittsburgh? James Conner looked pretty good. Um, anything else you wanted to touch on? That was really my last note. Uh, for a guy who's been about as hard on James Conner as anyone, I, I've never been a big fan, but I thought he ran really well in this game, and I thought he looked good. So so on that note, we can uh, move on to Denver at New England, um, a game that I didn't really see much of because I haven't watched it back, and it didn't really pop up on Red Zone very much. Looked like a field goal fest. Cam Newton, uh, not his brightest moment. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this game? Because I really don't have much other than Philip Lindsay's return and played well. Yeah, no, that was probably the, the most positive thing we can really say about this game is that Philip Lindsay looked really good. It was a little discouraging, I guess, to still see Royce Freeman take the, the bulk chunk of the third down work because it just it mystifies me. As, uh, Philip Lindsay's skill set lines up with that, and I just don't know why they don't use him in that way a little bit. Um, but all in all, he looked he looked healthy. The burst was there that you've always expected. The good vision, the weaving, getting small through holes. He looked really good. Um, in terms of Cam, you brought him up. Um, both of his interceptions were fairly fluky. That said, he looked awful. Uh, similar to Lamar Jackson, it just looked in a couple instances like the mechanics broke down. And he just sort of short-armed these balls into the dirt. It was, I bet I saw three or four of those over the course of the game. Um, he gets you 10 carries for 76 yards, and I believe he got into the end zone. I, I have it written. Yeah, he got into the end zone rushing. Um, so you probably got, you know, okay production. But he really did not look good in this game. And, and boy, it, it looks hard to trust any wide receiver in this passing game week to week other than, I guess, James White, if you want to consider him a receiver. Um, and he did look good. Um, maybe the other guy to point out on New England before we switch back over to, to, to Denver um, was Damian Harris. I think people were excited to see him. There was a few spot starts uh, for Damian Harris that had to be made. Um, he looked good early. The game plan looked like they wanted to come out and run the football. Um, that's what they did early. He even caught a 14-yard reception and looked pretty good on it. Um, but they just fell out of this game so quick that uh, it was pretty much the James White show in the second half. And uh, even Burkhead had a hard time carving out snaps and looks. Um, before we move to the Denver side, did, did you have any questions on, on the Patriots side or did I kind of cover all the bases? No, and uh, but let's switch to Denver and let me ask you this question before you ask me the question because I don't want to have to answer the question. <laughs> Tim enough. Patrick, do you think it's real? Do you think it's not real? Because I really don't know. The role is real. As long as he has the role, he's somewhat real in the sense that he's going to get targets. And frankly, really the bigger part of that is not just that he's going to get targets. He's going to get the targets down the field. Um, I would love to see Judy more transitioned into this downfield threat um, or even Deshaun Hamilton, I feel like, is more equipped for that. And maybe KJ Hamler can add something when he comes back. Um, but no, I don't think Tim Patrick's real and more than just a um, in a in a really plus matchup. He has the number one role in this offense. And, and Drew, Drew Locke, you know, is is sort of looking down you know to to him right now and and in that area of the field so uh, i guess in that sense it's real alberto filled in okay here for noah fant uh kind of a guy that i liked coming out of missouri this year 
Uh, he is no Noah Fant. He got four uh, four end zone targets in this game and couldn't come down with any of them. Um, and Judy here was was another big disappointment. He he drew a couple end zone targets where he was not open. Now the balls weren't thrown very accurately either. Um, and you know I did see him get missed one or two times on shorter routes where Locke is just you know chucking it up the field. Um, but all in all, Judy has been you know, really underwhelming to this point. And I think that this offense needs to find a way to get him more involved. Um, Drew Locke played, I hesitate to say well, um, but I also hesitate to say bad based on who they were playing. He just played okay for the first three quarters of this game. Um, And then in the fourth quarter decided to try to give the game away, throwing two of the more boneheaded picks of the weekend. Um, But, you know, it is a good defense. It was his first start. There's a lot of excuses you can make for him. Um, I'm willing to keep seeing how this this offense goes as they get, I guess, not healthy, but maybe as they get Melvin Gordon back and as they get Drew Locke re-incorporated uh, into the offense. Um, I think we should kind of keep it moving here. Uh, our next game was the the hometown Vikings in a in a disappointing game. They were never really in this game. Atlanta wins 40 to 23. Um, do you want to start on the Atlanta or Minnesota side? Oh, uh, we can get the Vikings out of the way. I think, okay. uh, Justin Jefferson, we've talked about him a lot already, but this is real, a real thing. Um, Justin Jefferson's pretty gosh darn good. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the routes that he was getting open with, it's just like five-year veteran type moves he's putting on guys. And I know the Atlanta secondary is probably a JV squad at um, as far as NFL teams go, but Justin Jefferson's amazing. Um, really disappointing day for Alexander Madison. Um, I know yeah. a lot of people were starting him this week. I saw a lot of fantasy analysts have him ranked in their top three. Um, it just, I mean, as far as getting chances to play Alexander Madison, you're not going to find many. And, and this was a pretty plum matchup and it just complete dud. I'm sorry if you started him, it's a tough thing to overcome. Yeah, on on Justin Jefferson, I know it was, you know, garbage time and against kind of a garbage secondary, uh, you know, that held us in check for the most part. So don't take that the wrong way, Falcon fans. But um, a a beatable secondary, that that second double, the double move touchdown, I mean, he created 15 yards of separation on that play. And and credit to Kirk for selling it. Um, You know, I I think to some degree we need to start talking about Justin Jefferson in in a similar, similar way we are talking about C.D. Lamb. Um, you know, I know Kirk Cousin doesn't exactly ex- inspire, um, you know, the most vigorous response from people. But uh, at the end of the day, he's good enough to make two or three players in the offense, you know, fantasy relevant. And uh, the way this team is trending, there's upside for a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields in this offense eventually. So. I think you sort of get the best of both worlds in terms of the quarterback room uh, where you at least know that there's a baseline there and there's probably some upside um, long term. So um, Justin Jefferson is is skyrocketing up ranks and, and I, I really think he should be. He should be valued evenly with DK Metcalf at this point or I'm sorry, not DK Metcalf, CeeDee Lamb um, at this point. Um why don't we move to the Atlanta side? I don't think that there was anything super significant here. Did Todd Gurley impress you? Um, no. No, Todd, really. 
Ty Gurley hasn't impressed me for several years. This is kind of a rough outing for him, actually, in a in a game where they were leading the whole time, and he just never really got anything going when they needed to ice the game and keep drives going just to, to run clock there. He continued to throw the ball rather than put the ball in his hands too much. So um, I thought Hayden Hurst played pretty well in this game kind of for the first time this year, or at least one of the first times this year he was more involved in their offense. Um, Julio scores twice. Anytime you get Julio touchdowns, you're very happy. (laughs) Um, He's no longer having to face Xavier Rhodes on the Vikings, so he is going to torch our makeshift rookie secondary right now. So that was good to see. Ridley scored again. This is an offense that, even though they're a bad team, can support multiple receivers in fantasy. And I think it's going to be kind of what we see year-round. Sometimes it's going to be Ridley as a lead guy. Sometimes it's going to be Julio. But when they're both there, I think they can both eat. There's plenty of ball to go around there. Yep, I definitely agree. And I think, you know, what we saw out of this game and what we saw the last two weeks – Um, I think I've seen enough to say that without Julio, this offense uh, changes dramatically. As much as we're all excited about Calvin Ridley, um, the offense, you know, he can still put up a zero without Julio. I I genuinely believe that. And um, I think he's there long term. I think they understand how important he is to that offense. I've sort of been wondering when is the other shoe going to drop with Atlanta. But I I sort of think... um, Maybe he hangs around there long term. Uh, one of the funner games of the week, at least for fantasy football, uh, it's the Detroit Lions thrashing the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I think there's one big thing to talk about, and I think we both know what it is. It's DeAndre Swift uh, scores two touchdowns, totals 116 yards. Um, what did you see out of out of what we both agree was the most talented or second talent most talented rookie in this most recent draft? He was my favorite running back pre-draft. I was kind of sad when the Lions took him. I wanted to see him (laughs) somewhere else, but, man, he looked good in this game. He looked so good. Um, He's like a pinball. Um, As soon as he gets touched, it's like he – He's shifting full speed, and that's a a rare skill set in a running back. You don't see a lot of guys do that. A guy changes directions most of the time. They have to slow down quite a bit. But this is a man that can change directions and barely lose a step on his his, uh, acceleration. So I was extremely impressed by him and even more befuddled by the fact that Adrian Peterson still technically outcarried him in this game. It's just... Strange, well, but and not only that, they're finding a way to get Carry on Johnson involved, um, and then in the fourth quarter, enter Jamal Agnew with a couple carries, and it's just like, what are they doing? They have a workhorse here. Um, give them the ball. I, I, so let, let so let's let's stay there then. Do you see this being the turning point, or is Adrian still going to be part of this offense as long as Matt Patricia is there? It should be the turning point, but I think this is too stubborn of a coaching staff to admit their mistakes. I think Matt Patricia knows that this is he needs to win games to to keep his job. And I think for whatever reason, he's got in his head that veterans are the safer way to win games, where in reality, his best way to win games and keep his job is to feed DeAndre Swift the ball. But I think he's going to play it too conservative for his own good. And Adrian Peterson's still going to have a role in this offense for better or for worse. He, he's still capable 
of producing at some level. But when you, I think the talent gap is just too big to ignore at this point. They absolutely should feature DeAndre Swift and no one else uh, other than for relief roles. But unfortunately, I think it's still going to be a committee, and I think it's going to continue to frustrate us. Yeah, no, I, that's sort of where I am too. Usually, I, I believe in the theory of rational coaching. Um, and that they will see what is obvious to the rest of us and do the right thing. But I, I just, I don't know, Matt Patricia doesn't inspire that feeling in me. And I, I sort of think that this, we're in for more of this, despite the fact that Swift will be uh, definitively the more efficient player. I will say on that 56-yard or whatever it ended up being, his his long run, um, any one of those three backs would have gotten 30 on that play. Um, it was a, it was a massive hole props to the, the Detroit offensive line. Um, but he hit it and he hit it full speed and it was, it was fun to see him break out into the open field. Um, Kenny Galladay has a good game here, despite, you know, they got up pretty big, pretty early. Um, didn't need to throw a lot, but he does get you four catches for 105 yards, no touchdown. Uh, the two long plays he had the jump ball, uh, reception was incredible. The diving, you know, I think it was like a post route or a deep over the diving catch over the middle. Um, some big weeks are coming, I think for Kenny Galladay, despite the fact it's just sort of been tepid production, uh, since coming back from that hamstring injury. Um, TJ Hawkinson gets in the end zone, but was largely forgotten about for the rest of this game. Um, do you have any nervousness there? I may be too close to this one to, to see it clearly. What do you see on Hawkinson? I I think it's just a tough offense to have the tight end and it's not really it's never really been an offense under Stafford that's fed a tight end they've tried they drafted Ebron they drafted Hawkinson early but it's like they keep trying to fit a, a square peg into a round hole where it's just not really built for the tight end for whatever reason I think Hawkinson's a fine player and I I would hold out hope for a new coaching staff to use him more or use him more, I guess, is the way to say it. Because I think he's probably the third most talented skill player on their offense behind Swift and Galladay. So they, they absolutely should feature him more. And, and I'm hoping that the next staff does. So I, I would hold or maybe try to buy low if you are one of those building teams. Good advice. Let's uh, move to the Jacksonville side. Uh, another tough game here for Gardner Minshew. Uh, salvaged his day at the end with some junk time passing and uh, a rushing touchdown. Um, DJ Chark draws a bunch of touchdowns, or I'm sorry, a bunch of touchdowns, a bunch of targets and can't catch most of them. Uh, only gets seven for 45 on 14 targets. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, very quiet. James Robinson comes through with some junk points. Uh, you'll take it, but pretty ugly performance here by Jacksonville. Are there any big takeaways you have from this team? I tried to come up with some big grandiose thing, but but not really. I, I it's just it's gonna be tough. Um, you're gonna have some growing pains with Lavisca. I think DJ Chark's playing through an injury, so he didn't look great to me in this game. He wasn't getting a lot of separation. Um, looked a little bulky, like he was carrying yeah. a dumbbell in his back pocket. <laughs> I don't know if that's a product of his injury or something we should be concerned about. But yeah, I wasn't super impressed by him, but I, I think we'll just chalk it up to to maybe playing hurt, and hopefully it's nothing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Keelan Cole is the one who does get something done here. Six catches on nine targets for a buck 43. Um, I'm not chasing that. Uh, the next two matchups I think we can buzz through pretty quickly here. So we got uh, Washington uh, 
coming up a two-point conversion short from beating the Giants in uh, the Meadowlands, uh, 19 to 20. Uh, where do you want to start or finish real quick on this one? Uh, I kind of just want to skip this whole game and forget <laughs> that it ever happened. I, I was thinking we lump this Giants and Jets teams yeah. together for the most part the rest of the year and do our, our poopy New York segment. And I, I literally couldn't really come up with a take on either one of these games. Uh, good or bad for Miami and the Jets beating. Like it, Beating the Jets is like picking a fight with a kindergartner at the playground and, <laughs> and feeling good about yourself for it. I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't really have anything big to say on either of these games. So I'll let, I will um, let you do the talking here, I guess. All right. Well, so Darius Slayton catches a nice touchdown pass. Good route. He's awesome. Um, I, I, Dan Jones, good throw on that play, but was pretty much awful the rest of this game. Um, on the Washington side, McLaurin's open a lot, but you know, this, whoever's the quarterback there is working with some pretty inferior pieces when you start going up and down the line. Um, it was surprising to me that Antonio Gibson sort of got forgotten about in this game in, in, in lieu of, uh, JD McKissick. So I guess that's something to watch going forward, but I don't think something that's predictive, something that's just, you know, frustrating for a week. As far as the Jets-Miami game, I, I really got nothing. Fitzpatrick was the streamer we all hoped he would be. Uh, didn't come through with a massive game because he didn't need to, but, uh, you know, he was a good play at least. So I, I think let's just, just move on. And I, I, I kind of like your thinking here. Let's maybe let's maybe workshop the title. But, uh, yeah, some sort of New York segment so we don't have to talk about these teams because, boy, it's rough. Sorry any I, New York fans who are listening. I did actually come up with a question about the Jets while you were okay. talking there. Um, this is more of a meta thing. Do you view the Jets as a positive fantasy matchup when your players are facing the Jets? Because I'm actually starting to think this might be almost a negative thing. Like if, if you're running back or wide receiver or quarterbacks facing the Jets, is this almost a bad thing? Because they're, the game's going to be out of hand in the first quarter. So, so are they going to kind of rest your stars or just kind of – use them less i guess so do you do you think this is a pro matchup or a con or a neutral well early in the season it felt like they were doing real well against the run um and so it felt like they were kind of a one of the one of these teams that i thought might become a pass funnel where you can you can throw the ball against them but you can't run um lately they've been getting killed by both and so I think you still can start your running backs with full confidence, you know, even if even if a running back gets pulled after third quarter, the third quarter, uh, chances are he's done some pretty good damage by then. Um, but in terms of, of tertiary wide receivers or tight ends starting in matchups against the Jets, um, yeah, where I think on, you know, the ESPNs and Yahoo's of the world, you're going to get a bump in projections or, you know, expectations, if you will. I think, yes, some of those pieces I'm actually lowering. Now, maybe the alpha of the team, the quarterback, the running backs, I'm still considering it a pretty positive matchup. Um, but certainly, yeah, I don't want to start any of these fringe options against the Jets just because these it doesn't seem like they can do anything right. So games are always, you know, feel like they could be lopsided a lot with, with the Jets. Um, I think let's move on here to... Boy, what we thought was going to be one of the games of the week or maybe even one of the games of the year, Green Bay going to Tampa. Um, and, boy, the pack looked good in the first about five minutes of the game, got up 10-0. Uh, Tampa Bay outscored them 38-rip the rest of the way. 
Um, do you want to start on the Tampa Bay side or the Green Bay side here? Um, why don't we start with the more positive of things and start okay. with Tampa Bay before we start to ask ourselves kind of what went wrong here in Green Bay. But um, I guess my biggest thing was finally we got something from Gronk. Gronk, um, yeah. He looked really good in this game. Brady was looking his way a lot. I was I was really happy to see that. Obviously, this is a dynasty podcast, so, so Gronk's value is still fairly low. But if you're a contender, um, like we said, if you, you just lost Zach Ertz or whomever, like Gronk's a guy that, that might get you through um, a rough injury or something. If if he's starting to kind of fully get back into football shape and Brady's Brady knows Gronk, Brady trusts Gronk. If he's healthy, he's gonna he's gonna target him a fair amount, especially with no OJ Howard now. I think this could be something that lasts more than just one week. Yeah, if you, if you read my article, you. you, you... I what I said in there was that he lacks the ability to gain big separation, but what you saw on the touchdown was what I said he could still do really well, which is excel from a stacked position. Just get a guy on his hip, have the ball thrown over his shoulder, and go high point it. Um, heck of a catch! I mean, he looked a heck of a catch, and then one of the more pedestrian Gronk spikes we've we've ever seen. I thought, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really fun to see him get back into things, and I actually had to pick him up for Waller in a, in a redraft this, this week. So yeah, I was excited to see that. Um, the Tampa Bay running game was, was pumping it out. Brady didn't get a lot done uh, other than to Gronk. So I think let's just switch it off to the, the, the Tampa Bay running game. Um, Ronald Jones looked really, really good. Leonard Fournette is still hurt. Are they going to screw with their hearts again? Or can we finally feel good about Ronald Jones? Maybe not as a premier talent, but at least as a guy who we can lock a certain amount of opportunity into his, you know, charts every week. I feel like this committee's dead. I feel like Fournette's value is dead. And Keyshawn Vaughn, I think, is just a spell back. I think this is Ronald Jones' job. I thought he looked, you know, pretty good in this game. Granted, Green Bay is pretty weak against the run. But I thought Ronald Jones... Uh, showed me something that I hadn't really seen from him before. And, and I think this is his job to lose. Well, yeah, and I, it's funny you bring up Keyshawn Vaughn because, and this maybe will dovetail into the next matchup because I don't have a lot else here. Um, but Keyshawn Vaughn was a guy that um, I railed against pretty hard in the offseason that people were taking way too high based on his talent. Um, they were projecting a lot of situation and opportunity onto a guy that probably didn't deserve it. Um, he was going too high. Um, and I guess where this sort of dovetails into the next conversation was Daryl Henderson had a similar thing happened last year um and i was very critical of daryl henderson and how high he was going in drafts and despite how bad he was last year and i liked daryl henderson as a talent i don't have any daryl henderson anywhere because i wasn't smart enough to go by on the down where it's like okay yeah the community hyped this guy up way way too much that's absolutely true that doesn't mean we should dislike the player um and to kind of spin it back on Keyshawn vaughn I am sort of waiting for that. Really, let's see this thing trough to all the way to the bottom. That's the buy time because I do still think he's a guy with some amount of talent. And I think long term, you know, you look into 2021, 2022 could be valuable. He's one injury away, um, you know, and we can move on to this Rams game. But I think that was one thing that when I was watching Daryl Henderson last night, I was thinking about it's like fade the value, certainly. But remember that you liked the player. And when the value changes up to, you know, aligns to a better spot where you're more comfortable paying it, go strike while the iron's hot. 
Um, and so I'll let you get into to, to the L.A. You know, why don't you start on the L.A. side? But that was just something I was thinking about. For sure. Um, before we move on, uh, let's mention our boy Tyler Johnson's oh, yeah. first NFL touchdown in this game. Yeah, you might. Uh, I don't really have much advice for fantasy. I just wanted to throw that out there because we're rooting for him. Um, maybe he surpasses Scotty Miller for snaps here because Scotty Miller's kind of looking like he's getting phased out a little bit. So could be an opportunity there, but it's just speculative at this point. Um, as far as Green Bay, uh, what do you think went wrong in this game for them? I, I, after the two picks and pretty much three plays for Rodgers, it just seemed like a totally different team. Well, what went wrong in the first half is a harder question to answer. You know, when they were up 10 nothing, what went wrong at that point is harder for me to figure out. In the second half, they were down a lot of points. Tampa Bay is an aggressive blitzing defense, and they lost David Bakhtiari. And so I think the second half you can pretty easily explain away as just they were chasing a big point spread uh, with, you know, pieces that didn't quite work against the defense that they were playing. In the first half, I guess I just got to give a lot of credit to the Tampa Bay secondary. Carlton Davis played played an awesome game. Uh, I believe he was the one who who picked the first one off, and maybe or did he break up the second one to Adams that that ended up getting tipped and not returned for the touchdown? Um, uh, either, sorry, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, either way, I thought that Tampa secondary just played really, really good in the first half, and uh, you know I'm certainly not you know, getting concerned about any of my Packers that I, you know, roster across my leagues. Um, but it was a wake-up call for this team. Um, and chances are Rodgers will come out and throw for five touchdowns next week because that's just kind of what he does off of performances like this. For sure. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it's just kind of a a random blip in the great season he was starting to build. Um, I, I think – it's just kind of a let's write this one off as a, you know a weird thing because yeah Tampa Bay's defense looked amazing in this game I thought Levante David had one of his best games as a pro um I know he's been around for a while but I thought he looked he impressed me more than he's ever impressed me before watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the past I thought he was incredible in this game yeah, well, I was chasing points in an IDP matchup, so every time you see five or four, I, I have Devin White for the record, so he's 45 <laughs> and 54. I kept getting excited thinking, oh, man, that could be the one that turned. Nope, that's Levante David again. Yeah, he, play, he played a big game. That Tampa, that Tampa defense is for real. They just looked bad a week ago on Thursday night, but um, I'm in the camp that this was more of the real Tampa Bay defense. Uh, why don't we move it on to San Francisco? Or uh, yeah, San Francisco at home beating the Rams on Sunday Night Football. I already kind of talked about Daryl Henderson. Uh, he looked really good. Do you want to expand on that, or do you want to go someplace else with LA? Well, I think we've talked about him quite a bit on this pod. But if you're just listening for the first time, we thank you. But also, we are both becoming bigger and bigger Daryl Henderson fans, and I think he has impressed us both quite a bit this year, as well as he has impressed Pro Football Focus. Uh, maybe ludicrously so, but <laughs> I think he, I think he's playing really, really good football right now. And, um, Sean McVay promised more carries for uh, Cam Akers this week, and he got zero. So Who's I saying? think that's where we need to talk about is uh, he talked about him in the media this week, and he didn't use him at all. Uh, are you concerned? Are you panicking? Are you preaching patience? Where are you at with Cam Akers? Well, I guess I'm preaching patience in the sense that you paid too much to sell him after, you know, six games. Um, coaches lie. I know that's breaking news, but uh, 
I guess it did shock me that they decided to just put him on the bench and, you know, we weren't going to see him at all. Um, I, I really don't have an explanation for it other than, you know, this is sort of how this game went. They were, you know, kind of chasing points early and uh, maybe they don't see him as a guy who can work on third down. Um, I got to think they're going to look to get him worked in eventually here, but as a redraft asset, it looks pretty bleak. And as a dynasty asset, I think you got to find a way to hold, but man, um, I have a hard time targeting him in trades either, just because I know the bottom we're, I don't think we're at the bottom yet, I guess is, is my point here. For sure. And it, it could be like this year's Daryl Henderson, where next year he all of a sudden looks great and Daryl Henderson isn't involved. Who knows? This is kind of a weird backfield to, to chase in fantasy right now. As a guy that rosters Daryl Henderson in a few leagues, um, as a guy that fell for the hype last year that you avoided, um, and rightfully so last year you avoided it, you know, after last year, I felt like I just completely wasted a couple of first round picks on him. But now he's been exactly what I needed him yeah. to be this year because the two leagues I have him in, I lost Saquon and Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> one in each of the leagues. So he's been kind of my my knight in shining armor, if you will. And I, I think at this point it's got to continue at least for this year. So I think Cam Akers, if you're holding out hope for production this year, I, I just kind of got to imagine that it's going to be hard for him to grab it from Daryl Henderson. If he's going to grab any touches, it's got to be from Malcolm Brown at this point. Which is tough without much of a pass catching profile. So, yeah, I, I'm discouraged there too. I think uh, this Rams passing game still isn't explosive enough. They did miss Cooper Cup on that deep vertical route. I'm sure that bummed you out uh, in the leagues you owned him. Um, Robert Woods dropped what would have been a good, you know, 50-yarder down the sidelines and actually was a good throw by Goff. They got to find a way to get some verticality to this offense or they're going to have a lot of games like this. I know we've that's something I've been kind of harping on the last three or four shows, but uh, – yeah, they got it. I don't know if it's Van Jefferson. I don't know. They tried Gerald Everett. I feel like they just maybe it's Goff that he doesn't that he's not taking the shots that are there. But they got to find a way to you know push some safeties back every once in a while, and they're not doing it. On the San Francisco side, uh, it was good to see Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo bounce back here. I mean, certainly not a huge statistical output, but uh, he he looked at least healthy to me. Um, I know we had some debate about that, about whether or not he was really hurt last week or if they were just kind of protecting his ego, his confidence. Um, but for what, you know, for whatever it's worth, he looked good tonight. Um, Debo and Ayuk catch touchdowns here. George Kittle gets involved. Um, what did you take away on Jimmy? I know you, you made that trade in Superflex a couple weeks ago. Um, as a Jimmy, you know, manager, are you feeling... Like, okay, this is a guy I can start at least for the rest of this year, and then we'll see kind of what happens when all of these pieces fall into place. Well, so far I'm 0 for 2 on uh, lineup decisions with him on my roster. I started him last week and sat him this week, so I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. But <laughs> as of right now, I, I, I'm encouraged enough to think that I, I'd be comfortable starting him, especially in a super flex. you got to right. start your quarterbacks. I just thought he was so bad last week. I decided to start uh, – uh, another receiver instead oh. of him this week, but I, that's a team that I inherited this year and is uh, in line for the one one So I, I'm, and even though it's p- potential points, so I'm still trying to win. But 
Um, but yeah, it's not really that big of a deal to me whether I win or lose, I guess. But yeah, I would start Jimmy. I, um, in one quarterback leagues, I think you're probably going to want to maybe wait a week or two just to make sure this is a trend. Um, I'm sure you can find other options. If not, then, you you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, as far as the San Francisco side of things go, we did lose Raheem Mostert again. Yeah. He was placed on IR today. So I wanted to ask you, is it back to McKinnon? Is Jamichael Hasty going to be a thing now? Or, or where are you going in this backfield now? Well, so Jeff Wilson left this game, which I think presented the opportunity for um, Hasty. I, I guess I'm confused as to why they put, A, put so much on Mostert's plate when McKinnon had looked pretty good the last couple weeks. And then why... Once Mostert was hurt at basically the first play out of the second half, why at that point we didn't see more Jarek McKinnon? And, and did, did he get hurt and they didn't mention it on the broadcast? I just didn't quite get the breakdown of touches and why they went the way they did. What I will say is I like the little bit that we did see at Jamichael Hasty. I think he certainly offers more than Jeff Wilson Jr. Um, so as a speculative ad, I mean, some of the waiver wires I look at in some of these dynasty leagues are pretty sparse, but a name like him might be out there and might offer a little bit of upside. For sure. Um, do you want to break down this uh, Chiefs-Bills game since we basically just watched it before we started recording? Uh, yeah, maybe we're, we're running a little bit long. Maybe we should save that and this this Cowboys game. We'll, we'll both plan to rewatch, you know, what we missed uh, while we were either doing the pod or, or while, you know, you were on your way in. Um, and maybe we can recap this one on the Thursday night show. All right, that sounds good to me. Uh, it looked like a good game for Clyde Edwards-Solaire, so I do want to rewatch that after the Le'Veon Bell acquisition well, and give you some better advice on that situation. Yeah, he did look good. Why don't we real quick just have a quick take on that? I mean, um, he looked really good, but then again, Daryl Williams was running through big running lanes. Even Darwin Thompson popped a couple runs to this against this Buffalo defense missing Matt Milano and a few front frontline defenders. Um, I'm just wondering, I think this is a backfield that can pretty easily support two players and maybe more so than Clyde looking good. And, and, you know, like you said, I've been kind of doing a few things around the house. I've missed bits and pieces of that game. He looked very, very good. And I think that's an important thing to just make as a quick note here. But I also think two guys can be productive in an offense as good as the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think it has to be a one or the other. And so I just feel like all these people taking victory laps on Clyde edwards Solar, um, it's just one of those things where if you can find somebody who thinks that off of this game, this is a sell-high moment with Lev coming around the corner, I'm looking at it the inverse way. Um, and that's not me saying I don't like what Lev could. I think Lev could come in and have some big games for you too as an RB2 flex play. But uh um, just real quick, is it, do you agree with me? You want to go a different direction with that or what? I think I mostly agree with you. I reserve the right to change my opinion, uh, on our next episode though, once I, I see more and, and kind of digest this a little bit more, but as of now, it's, I, I don't really have to worry about it too much. Cause I didn't have the one-on-one in any of my leagues this past year. So I don't own Clyde Edwards Alaire anywhere. So I haven't thought about it probably as much as I would have if I did roster him, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I do want to evaluate this and give some good advice. So um, as of now, I, I think you just, you're obviously 
should hold in my opinion. But if you want to sell for whatever reason, I I guess that's up to you. I'm not going to advocate for it. I'm not worried about Le'Veon Bell, I guess is my current opinion. That's, that's where I'm at. So don't take less than one oh one type of value because that's more than likely what you paid at this point. Um, Why don't we end it on that note uh, real quick. So for the next uh, episode, uh, we're going to do our normal week, uh, week, uh, it'll be seven, right? Week seven preview. God, the season's flying yeah. by. Uh, week seven preview, we'll do our game draft. Um, and then we we mentioned in the show we're going to do some hypothetical NFL trades we'd like to see happen. This is real-world trades, not fantasy trades. Um, and then I think we're going to bring back our, our Dynasty Stockwatch uh, series and just bring you five players that, um, since the last time we did it, which was week two, I believe, um, who's moved up, who's moved down. It's not necessarily the same players, but just players whose value has, you know, oscillated in, in one direction or the other uh, during this course of the season. Uh, so other than that, I don't have anything else, Newts. I'll just say uh, college game day is coming to Minneapolis this weekend. So, Sky Yuma, let's get the little brown jug. And and real quick before I, before I let you, you know, give us uh, the Twitter handles, um, rest in peace, Sid Hartman. Uh, that was a bummer to find out yesterday. Uh, amazing to think that he put out an article, a column this weekend. Um, and as somebody who's aspiring to even do, uh, you know, one one millionth of what Sid Hartman did in this, you know, field or industry, um, it was just, it was really cool to watch all the, you know, things he did and the accomplishments he had. And so uh, rest in peace, Sid. And if you're listening to this from other somewhere other than Minnesota, which we do know we have some some out of state listeners and out of country listeners, I highly encourage you to read an obit or two on Sid. What an incredible life he lived, and not a death worth mourning, but a life worth celebrating. So yes, definitely rest in peace, Sid Hartman. Um, on that note, let's plug our Twitter handles and get out of here. I'm at Nasty Newts on Twitter, and you are at Dynasty Oasis on Twitter. So give us a follow, rate, and review our podcast. That would greatly help us out. Get us on the charts get us noticed um tell your friends tell your grandma anyone that can download um and listen to our episodes would be much appreciated um so any help you can give us to grow we would very very appreciate it so thank you very much for listening and being in from the ground floor and on that note i would like to just say a very happy birthday to snoop Digo double g <laughs> snoop dog nice he is i and i is i am him Slim with the tilted brim. All right. Have a good Tuesday. We'll see you guys on uh, Friday morning. All right. Bye. Peace out.